0: Welcome to the Cellular Cinema Podcast. This is episode three with Kevin B. Lee. If you'd like to support the podcast and the artists that we feature, please subscribe at patreon.com backslash cellular cinema. Thank you. And so maybe a good place to start would just be um, what you're up to now. in Germany like what what has brought you there and and what what you're what you're doing at that fine institution and just your kind of current events if you're if that sounds to you like a good place to start sure you bet so I've been in Germany since
1: 2017 Um, I was living in Chicago before that and teaching in Chicago and I was invited to do an artist residency at this fantastic institute called the Harun Froki Institute. Um, For those who don't know, Harun Faroqi is one of the most significant audiovisual artists, filmmakers, and critics from from Germany. Um, And after he passed away, there was an institute that was founded um, to carry on his legacy. And they really liked the work I had been doing in video essays is kind of um, in line with the kind of critical media practice that, uh, Ferochi pursued. So I don't know if that's a term that's been discussed in your class, but you know, critical media being media that, um, has a certain awareness about what media is and does, or makes, makes an audience aware of, um, of media's role in our society and how media works, um, and, and is reflective and critical and engages with theory. So, um, video essays, you can say is, is really a, um, a major development in the last 15 years or so. I, I, I assume you guys have seen video essays on YouTube and online. Um, you know, it's really something that just exploded with YouTube, um, being a place where people could share their knowledge and, um, uh, understanding of film, um, so yeah, so I, I come from that background and then that led me to the the um, residency in Berlin. And from there, I mean, it was kind of weird because here, you know, in, in the US it's just like, you're just considered a, a YouTuber or um, some measly film critic, you know, that just uh, doing their little thing in their corner of pop culture. But then in Germany, they, like I had, I had newspaper articles written about me and stuff. Mm. I was just like amazing. <laughs> and I think it was this fascination on the part of Germany or German journalists that um yeah, that well, that you could do this kind of critical thinking in a popular medium discourse. Uh it it, it connects with a long legacy of that in Germany, uh called the Frankfurt School, where people would Um, really engage with popular culture in a way that was like serious, like, like um, treating it seriously as a way of diagnosing what's going on in our society. What are our cultural values as reflected in pop culture? Um, You know, as opposed to just treating it like disposable entertainment that you just, you know, spend an hour uh, binge watching or, or just, and just, you, you just forget about it. So, so it actually take it seriously and to see through it as a way of understanding and diagnosing what our societal values are. I mean, maybe this is something you guys take for granted because growing up in the YouTube generation, I mean, you see so many of these videos now. um, uh, If you, you know, just to name one off the top of my head, Lindsay Ellis, uh, who does a really good job um, linking, you know, Disney movies and Hollywood blockbusters to things like gender politics, um, class issues, you know, things like that. So she really is um, in, in working in that vein. So yeah, so but in Germany they were just kind of like uh, really excited about this type of work. Uh, partly also because in Germany it's a lot harder to make video essays because. The copyright restrictions are crazy. Um, They have much, much, much stricter regulations governing copyright and fair use. Um, Yeah, and they really just kind of culturally discourage you from doing that. So to actually see people doing this um, in the United States was something that they were really fascinated by. And it's always been kind of like pushing up against, okay, can we do it? What are the legal ramifications of doing this? Um, yeah, so so actually, this is something that you uh, kind of take for granted in the United States that you could you can you have a fair amount of leeway and 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 freedom in using copyrighted materials to create something of your own. I mean, there are certain nuances that you have to be mindful of, especially con- concerning music. Music is way more strictly governed than um, uh, audiovisual material uh but anyway so yeah i i uh i went from there to a teaching gig at the merits academy which is where i am now they had this brand new department that they were launching called cross media publishing and i never heard, i don't know if any of you guys have heard of this term cross media before i had never heard of it i asked them what's cross media I'm like well we're actually not sure ourselves but there's this other school we're competing with that started a cross media program and we're <laughs> just trying to communicate with them it's like and we we saw what you were doing with these video essays and that that feels like cross media to us because you're you're taking work from one medium which is film and you're publishing it in your own way in another medium which is online video and the internet so we we're very interested in this kind of intersection of different media forms and yeah, that completely makes sense to me. It totally makes sense to me to think about contemporary media as not being like specific to, oh, I'm, I make films or um, I make TV or I make um, you know YouTube videos. It's all kind of inter- intersecting with each other. And it's important to think about how all these different media practices um, influence each other, Lead a person from one to another, um, and uh, yeah, and and kind of create a larger picture of what our media environment looks like. So I, I do a lot of work with my students, asking them to just keep track of what media they're consuming, what they what they watch, what they listen to, and then start thinking, okay, where does this come from? How is it made? Um, and not be so stuck in a super disciplinary oh i'm a i'm a film guy or i'm a video guy or i'm a new media guy like just really get a bigger picture of how all this
0: fits together um yeah so that's that's kind of where i am now with my my work um i love the uh the connection of it to the frankfurt school that Mm, that hadn't occurred to me um but it's it's really exciting um the idea that that those you know like those writers and theorists like that. There's a lineage there in the, in the German, German culture. But of course it's, you know, it is global. It's globally engaged and and interesting too. Um, I wanted to say, I I say this every week, but um, to the rest of class, if you have a question at any point, um, feel free to chime in. either with your voice or in the chat, if that feels easier, um, if you're concerned about interrupting or something. Uh, Um, Can I uh, ask a question then? Absolutely, absolutely. So when you make a, a video essay, how do you decide between
1: using narration or just video clips? Like what makes you decide how you're gonna tell what you're trying to tell? Yeah, great question um because there are so many different approaches you can adopt and I when I started I mostly did narrated and I think there's a reason for that when you get started doing video essays um and by the way I'm just curious if any of you have ever made a video essay you could use your like emoji hand thing (laughs) just to wave your just to signal like yes I have made one before I'm I'm just curious but i'm sure sh- I'm sure all of you have seen one right if you've if you've seen a video essay, okay, yeah good. thanks connor thanks abram <laughs> um, yeah i you know when I got started, it really was a way for me to practice talking about films and developing a relationship with you know with films and and an understanding so the voice strong role um in in helping you learn how to articulate your ideas, um, but then over time, it was around 2012 that a new form of video essays came about that really took over the supercut. So how many how many of you guys know what a supercut is? Show me an emoji. Um, it, it was such a it was such a popular term. Just a few years ago, now it's kind of gotten a little out of fashion. But it's basically like you take, you know, all the shots of. Well, actually, you you guys watched one, I think, or at least uh, one of the videos that um, was shared of mine called the Spielberg face. It starts with the supercut of just this trademark expression in Spielberg movies when a person is just kind of in awe. Um, so you know that. There was a really popular one of how Wes Anderson makes these symmetrical, hmm. uh, centered uh, frames in his films, and that that went viral, and that that helped a whole trend of like supercuts where you just see every example of a specific thing from you know from a bunch of films, and you don't need a narration for that because um, it's just presenting an insight. Purely through editing, through montage, through presenting the images, and so that really got me thinking. Oh, okay, you don't need the voiceover anymore. Um, but the trick with that, though, is how how much can you say? It's like, okay, now I've seen every example of Wes Anderson using this type of shot in all of his films. So now I now I know that but (laughs) what more is there to say about it you know is there an ideological or a a deeper insight or an, an argument that one can make after you've made this observation so it actually ends up being actually i use it now as like the first thing i teach students um is just to make them notice things like okay find me five examples of this in a film you know, five, five examples of this kind of shot. So it's really like pattern recognition teaching is training the eye. So that's very useful in that way. So it's, there's some video essays that train the eye and some types of video essays that train the voice, like that train us to be able to talk about video, about film. So it it's really, it comes down to like what kind of skill and what kind of ability and insights you want to you want to engage with and you want to develop in your work and you know it there's each each situation calls for its own approach its own technique it's just something you kind of have to think about intuitively but I I def- if you're if you're interested in making this kind of work I encourage you to try different methods just build that tool that tool set you know uh, try narration try montage try editing I mean these are all filmmaking skills so in in many ways you're just te- you're just building your filmmaker toolkit. So if that answers your question, or if there's another question,
0: um, I w- yeah, any of any other questions are are welcome. But um, I was really uh, I was happy that you recommended the um, the to the lighthouse video um, because that felt like kind of. I mean I think it was beautiful and it just made me so happy um and it was like this this kind of other level of it was I don't know it was analysis but it was also this really kind of playful um engagement with this massive body of work for these two actors and so I don't know if I have a question there but um but I don't know is that that so so I guess Whoa. so the, my question maybe is like about the is an essay one thing and then like a a work of art with found footage another related thing or do they kind of bleed into one another or it it, so that piece my comment i guess is that that felt like a freestanding uh Mm. film like a work of art made from from those other films
1: yeah it's uh okay because, yeah, it is it is sort of a thing that is in its own space. I don't think I've made anything quite like that before. Um, and it, it actually just, you know, came out of a very specific practical situation because this film festival, the Rotterdam Film Festival in the Netherlands, they were showing to the lighthouse and they have a program every year where they invite Uh, filmmakers to make video essays to introduce certain films that are showing there. So they wanted a video essay to introduce the lighthouse. How many of you guys have seen the lighthouse? Just, I'm just curious. It's, I think it's online now. I think it's on like Amazon and all right, good job. I mean, that's, that's a film that with, uh, with uh, what do you call it With, with experimental films in some ways it's, it's pretty wild. Um, so they asked me to make a video to introduce it, but they would not give me any footage of the film because it was still a new film. And they had to go through like major hoops to try to figure it out, figure out how to get access. And so I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to go that route. I'm, I'm really fascinated by Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe's actors, especially in this film. And I'm just curious to see, like, if I, if I looked at his, their other films, of what they do in The Lighthouse. And could I even make my own version of The Lighthouse? Kind of like what I did with Transformers, the pre-made, you know, it's like using all this YouTube footage to kind of make my own uh, in-the-scenes video about Transformers. So, yeah, I just uh, got a hold of about 35 movies with Robert Pattinson and with Willem Dafoe. And just was looking for moments where I could stitch together like a Frankenstein monster a uh, sort of storyline or a dialogue between the two of them. And um, yeah, it was very much like a puzzle, uh, just trying to find pieces that fit with each other and could actually make a coherent sort of uh, narrative or or kind of evolution of a relationship that actually, Sort of mirrors what happens in the lighthouse. This sort of initial sort of fascination with each other that leads to these weird, very emotional and dramatic um, moments that then escalate into a conflict, and then finally they, they just cannot exist together anymore. Um, although my my version is a bit more tender. There's no one, <laughs> no one gets killed, or at least not yeah. Uh, Spoiler, sorry. Uh, <laughs> 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 but um, but also just kind of playing, just playing with um and also just making making aware like them as actors too because i think when you see it all stitched together in this way you become much more sensitive to their acting styles um you know less less focused on how they're portraying a character and just what they do as performers what they bring to the table so it becomes a study in that way so yeah it's trying to be a critical study of two actors but also yeah kind of like meta version or what we call like a palimpsest or an alternative version of this film that already exists. And yeah, something that's also like working through uh, feelings, like uh, just just trying to, yeah, work through some some the emotions that you um, experience through films. Um, so, you know, the word, the word essay is very tricky. Like at, at this point, people use this word so loosely that it almost loses its meaning. Um, because, you know, you can, you know, I don't know what you guys think of when you think of essay. You know, does an essay mean it has to have an argument? In which case, I don't know if this video would be considered an essay. Um, the The original origin of the word essay, it comes from this, the French word essay, which means to try, to attempt. So, and that that comes from, you know, writers who don't really have a very strict agenda. They just want to take a topic and just see where it goes. So it has this sort of exploratory aspect to it. Let's just let's just see where our, my mind goes with this. And to me, that would probably be like the truest um, definition of essay film. It's it's a it's a film that really is trying to reveal the workings of the mind, like how someone thinks. Through film, um, You know, so it's not so much about telling a story, depicting a dramatic situation, but just really seeing how someone thinks their way through movies and through images. So, you know, if you watch To the Lighthouse, would you call this? A, I mean, do you see my mind at work? Yeah, kind of, sort of. I mean, you know, Spielberg face is more essayistic, I would say, because it's really exploring a topic. Transformers, the pre-make um, you know, it, it is, it is a bit narrative. It's its investigative. Um, you know, it, it's essayistic insofar that you can see my mind working. I think that's really just what's, what's at stake there. Um, you know, when I think of narr- narrative film or, or name brand filmmakers, I think one filmmaker that comes to mind as an essayistic filmmaker would be someone like Terrence Malick, um, who really, you know, has these very poetic moments where the characters are expressing thoughts um, and, you know, a a more philosophical way of seeing the world that's not so dependent on a story being developed over the course of the film. So I hope that might give you some ideas. I don't know if you guys watched um, Man with the Movie Camera, classic. I mean, really one of the most amazing films ever made, a film that kind of You can put it in many categories, experimental film, documentary film, uh, avant-garde, political, but it sort of transcends all of them. And I would also call it like one of the first essay films and still one of the best essay films. Um, Because they're just really trying to explore what are the possibilities of expressing yourself through movies. So, yeah, that's that's my take on essay
0: films. It's interesting. I feel like there's maybe, um, I don't know if it's two like categories, but um, I feel like there's an approach to essay, which is like, you know, here's my thesis. I'm going to prove it to you. Yeah, right. And that's maybe like a closed version or like a, not necessarily academic, but it's, it's yeah. I don't know. It's, well, it's like, here's the I box. mean, a lot of academic is, but a lot of academic is like that. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's
1: very like Scientific and procedurals, like I'm just going to prove to you my argument. What I have to say, yeah.
0: And I feel like con- conversely, there's maybe another category, which is, sounds like more like what you're talking about, um, which is open or creative in a different way, where it's like I have an idea and I'm gonna see where it leads. Um, and those have two, are two very different flavors. Yeah. It, it, okay. I mean, it's, it's these two words that start with
1: E explaining or exploring. And yeah, I mean when you think of essays, I think our first our first experience with essays is very much the explainer. When we're like um, you know, tw- 15 or 16 years old and our teachers are telling us, "Okay, you guys have to learn how to think structurally, to have an argument, and you know, paragraph 1, you lay out your 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 main idea, paragraph 2 is you start to develop it." come come up with some examples and paragraph three, you come up with your conclusion. And I see a lot of video essays that kind of have that explanatory structure. I mean, this is, you know, this is how lawyers think. So it (laughs) it definitely has like a certain, a certain value to it. Um, But then there is also the exploratory mode where it's like, okay, let's just start writing about a topic and you don't know where you're going to go with it. Let's just see what comes up. And actually, you know, I, I should correct myself because maybe the first type of essay that you write as a kid, when you're like eight years old or 10 years old and your teacher's like, write about family, write about your summer. And you don't have to have an agenda of like, you know, my summer was was great for these three reasons, you know, <laughs> like just, you just have to, you just have to unpack. And that's really what the explant the, the exploratory mode is about. It's just unpacking what's uh, what's kind of inside you or what what you're trying to make sense of, without a particular agenda or objective. So um, yeah, so I I, I think uh, you kind of have to ask yourself what mode serves you, and when you're watching things on YouTube how many of you guys are watching explainer videos and why do you watch explainer videos? And do you ever find something that's more exploratory? Cause you know, I'm sure all of you could probably name some good explainer videos uh, that you find online. And they usually start with the words, how to, or why, you know, it's like, they're answering the question. They're presenting you the question. They're answering it for you. Um, but I, I'm just curious if any of you can the comments in the chat or you know if you want to uh speak up can you think of any exploratory type videos that you find on youtube or online or you know or just in popular culture that aren't just like trying to tell you how to think about something
0: yeah I mean, <laughs> there you it's, go right yeah so, I, I mean yeah i feel like my so actually um watching the Spielberg face um, was a really striking experience for me too, because um, I'm a fan of like every frame of painting and like, I really like what Tony Zhu does with that. It's really useful, but I guess like I've been thinking of video essays as being very utilitarian. So it's like, okay, like he's gonna, you know, unpack these ideas about editing or these ideas about this particular movie or this particular director. Um, and uh, and that's great. And it's it's valuable and meaningful. But um, I liked when you said, when you got very existential in the Spielberg face and talked about it as like, uh, he's showing us the death mask of our species. It's like, that's big. Like that's going like yeah. way big for, you know, on the on the scope o meter, um, and that just like that was striking to me that it's like oh this isn't we're not just talking about one technique that one director likes to use like it's it encompasses you know it goes in goes further than that in a in a really right. interesting way. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I, I I surprised myself when I came to that kind of final conclusion. Cause I, I didn't think of Spielberg as a profound filmmaker in, you know, in any real. And then when I noticed like, okay, this is such an ego, a flex move on his part. It's like, I'm going to come up with this image that basically defines the legacy of cinema for all of humankind. Um, and it's the Spielberg face. I'm like this, this totally makes sense because he does have an ego like that. And, but, but the thing is he is also, yeah. Uh, a, a genius in the, in the in the way that he knows he knows how to find an image that just speaks volumes and um yeah, it's a testament to him in that way um but yeah, I wasn't expecting to get to that conclusion, and it really wasn't until I kind of worked through you know the 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 examples of this Spielberg face and laid them out chronologically and that starts off as an explainer thing to do. it's like, oh, you know what? if you just take this motif or whatever and you just like kind of go through history, look at one example after another, that's usually, that's what a lawyer does. It's what a scientist does. It's a very kind of fact-based objective approach. But, um, you know, I didn't want to just tell a history thing. You know, I wanted, I wanted to kind of go towards another dimension as to like, why, why do we watch movies in the first place? And in some ways I think, my My best works, the works I'm more proud of get at this very fundamental question, just like what, what are we doing this in the first place? you know um, and it's a question i I ask myself a lot because I, you know I've spent so much so many hours watching films um, so you know it's it's yeah i think I think when we get so caught up in like, oh, how do you get that shot right or how do you you know get this certain technique right or how do you how do you get movies right? You know, how do you learn these these kind of things? In some ways, it's kind of missing the forest for the trees. Um, should lose sight of the bigger questions. Why why are we applying all of this energy and talent and attention in the first place to you know to acquire these skills or these insights?
0: Um, a couple of uh, there are a couple of comments. Um, cinema tar- car. Cinema cartography? cartography. I'm not familiar with that channel.
1: Yeah, me neither. Actually, okay. uh, I'll check. I'll definitely check that out. Thanks. Thanks for these tips and off the air videos. Okay, I'll definitely check these out. Thanks. I'm curious um, if you, if, if in the class, if you've watched anything that's like more essayistic or,
0: um, you know, we. I mean, we. I haven't been showing essay films, um, and it it kind of it only came up for us post uh post quarantine as uh especially with super 8 um i mean i am a fan of kind of like uh i feel like i wonder if there's a version of this of what you're talking about um where but where the footage is is um also created by the filmmaker you know like like so Somebody making a- like uh um Chantal Ackerman maybe is somebody that springs to mind um or um or uh for some reason, I'm always blanking on his name the uh, haroon feroki um oh yeah, you bet yeah like uh who make kind of essayistic films, but with their own footage rather than um, rather than found footage or uh. yeah. he so anyway, he did we, both. So uh, yeah. yeah, we um, so we've talked about it in maybe in those terms, but not not as like the the genre that we think of um, with the YouTube videos um, online. Yeah, and I mean, I I think that my my thinking on the subject is kind of like expanding as we as we talk about it. Like like it's Hmm. it's more interesting to me now than it was a week ago before you shared those links and and before this conversation for sure.
1: Uh, You know, I'll I'll share an essay that I wrote about this um, because yeah, it was about two thousand thirteen. Um, there was an essay film series that was being shown in London and they asked me to make a video essay about essay films and that was really like the first time that <laughs> I was really thinking about essay films and video essays kind of what relationship they might have with each other because uh, yeah there's some people I mean oftentimes people will kind of get them confused like okay what does you know every frame of painting have to do with like Jean-Luc Godard I mean that that would be like probably one of the first examples of an essay filmmaker who is shooting their own footage most of the time um yeah do do these have anything to do with each other because you think of essay films as being like kind of highbrow high art experimental film just way up there and then you got the youtubers over here and it's like you know can you take any of them seriously so that but i think that is a um A shifting landscape and I'm that's the thing and that's why it's important for me to ask you guys you know where do you find profound experiences online because if anything YouTube the algorithms are just making it dumber and dumber and reading articles about how the algorithms are just playing it safe um just to like have safe um fun frivolous you know, video content, and if you're trying to do anything difficult, deep or profound, for one thing, you just have a much smaller audience. So uh, financially, there's no incentive to doing this. Um, you can try, but you're, the, the odds are stacked against you. And this is why Tony Joe, if you if you watched his video essays, they were they were like the most popular video essays from 2014 to about 2016 he quit after three years because he just couldn't make a living getting, you know, making videos with like 4 million views and he couldn't make a living doing it. Um, so, you know, it's just the internet seems actually prejudiced against this type of deep exploratory work. That's not just trying to like tell you what to think in like one minute. Um, And you gotta think like, what what is that doing to our minds collectively? If this is where we're spending our time, if this is what we're watching, what we're consuming, because it's so easy, because it's so uh, consumable and so easily digestible, what is that doing to our ability to think um, extended trains of thought or to pay attention to things that are not so clear or so like easily consumable? And this is why experimental filmmaking is more important than ever, but also more endangered than ever, um, you know, and and looking at what's happened with the coronavirus pandemic, you know, so many film festivals have, you know, have shut down uh, in the foreseeable future. And I don't know how many of them are actually gonna come back. Um, this has just been a disaster for, for culture in general anything that's not Netflix (laughs) or, or YouTube or Instagram, anything that's not Netflix, YouTube, Instagram is basically taking a big hit. And how, how many of them are going to come back? Um, And the kinds of experiences that we can get from them, where are we going to find it? You know, how do we, how do we find and how do we create things that aren't just, you know, serialized TV or like, you know, video clickbait? or selfies you know and i think a lot of that has to do with at what point are people just going to be sick of of just getting just that and and just wanting more than just that so i mean i don't know if this is what what you can relate to but um yeah this is why there's there's always going to be a need for alternative types of media creation things that really speak on a deeper level to your experiences. Um, and And from that, we have to find other people who get us you know at that at that level um so you know we were gonna have to kind of recreate these of experimental exploratory essayistic type media so uh this this is gonna be very important work for the years to come
0: and I think it it um I'm still thinking about you, linking it to the Frankfurt School, and how those those guys, which I think were mostly guys, uh, those people, yeah. um, were looking at popular culture and saying, like, it's really important that we think about how this works and what it's doing to us, and um, right. Uh, and yeah, you know, I'll, I'll even just throw up an
1: example in my uh Zoom background. Let me see if I can do this. Uh, <laughs> but no, you can go ahead while I while I work on that. Just just for fun. Um, but what were you going to I'm sorry, what were you going to oh, say? Oh,
0: well just just um I uh that's actually not a complete thought, but it's it's like like what you're saying is kind of echoing that um, I don't know, like the need to think more deeply about these structures. And I mean, I think people are, it's not that that's not happening, but, um, but the, right. the necessity is not, is getting yeah. anything more urgent. than Well, tra- okay. yeah. Transformers the pre is definitely a Frankfurt School inspired work. I mean, if you,
1: if you watch this and you see the name of the hard drive, the name of the hard drive on my computer is Adorno <laughs> and Theodore Adorno was like the the uh, you know he was like uh, Tyler the Creator to, to Odd Future <laughs> uh, Theodore Dono was to Frankfurt School what Tyler the Creator was to uh, and Walter Benjamin was Frank Ocean but anyway <laughs> uh, yeah I don't want to get too carried away oh, okay. with my analogies uh-huh. but uh, <laughs> um, yeah so that that was very much about taking pop culture taking this ridiculous global blockbuster that you know costs like half a trillion dollars to make and is just kind of being force-fed on everybody to care about for like a week and to actually take it seriously to really investigate what that was all about what are the what are the kind of economics and the geopolitics of it because i remember yeah i remember the debates of my because i was a grad student at the time and i remember de- being like why, why do we care about transformers? It's just garbage. It's like totally pointless. And then another advisor was like, there's a lot of people in the world who watch this and you know, it, this is a way of engaging with them. So you can't just turn your back on, on this just because you think it's disposable garbage. It's like to actually treat it seriously is, is the, is the more difficult thing to do. But how do how do you, how do you have a smart thing to say about a stupid thing? (laughs) It's really like kind of the interesting challenge there, you know, like, how do you take, how do you take trash and turn it into intellectual or artistic treasure? Um, And that's, that's something that the Frankfurt school was all about. It's like, how do we, how do we look at the things around us and really diagnose them in a way that reveals a deeper layer of understanding of how what's going on in our world? So like this here is uh, the lullaby of Broadway by a, um, a really important um, filmmaker from the 1930s called Busby Berkeley. And he was really, really, really like influential in um, creating these huge, incredibly choreographed um, stage sequences where he would take hundreds of people usually women young women and just orchestrate them in this in these beautiful abstract patterns it's just going to get more and more and so like he's influenced everybody from beyonce to kim jong un cuz
0: like <laughs> you know
1: anything that's like a spectacle of bodies just in total perfect formation he's he's the guy who came up with it but um the frankfurt school you know they they look at this and it's like okay It looks really pretty, but it totally connects to like um, 1930s assembly lines and factories. I mean, this was like the height of factory production and every person, you know, in the assembly line having a role to play. And um, at the same time, you know, glorifying that, identifying with that, it's like, oh yeah, I could be one of these beautiful cogs in (laughs) the machine and it's totally fine because the scene is beautiful. But the thing is, I mean, this was happening in in Hollywood, but at the same time, there was not going on in Germany. And so if you watch some German propaganda films, Nazi propaganda films in the 1930s, they look just like this, with like mass like except they're they're all doing it for Hitler. So, you know, so it's just getting to think more deeply about these aesthetics that are beautiful I mean, you know, I, I, you can't argue that this is beautiful stuff, but in the service of what, you know? So to really think about where this is coming from and what it's serving is, is, that's Frankfurt school, um, cultural theory at work.
0: I think one of the reasons that I keep coming back to your Transformers film and, you know, I've, I've shown it in class some semesters and I've just recommended it other semesters, but, um, but uh, I, I love how effectively it gets at those political and economic questions uh, with, like, zero resources, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. the idea that, like, oh, I'm going to make, like, a hard-hitting, like, politically relevant documentary, but I need access to, you know, I got to interview, like, the Secretary of State if I want to get the material that right. I need for this documentary, um, and I don't have access to those people, so I can't make that movie. Um, and something like Transformers the Premake is this excellent example of not having any resources to work with or like a, at least kind of using um, not not even just using the tools available, but like using the products coming from the machine, whatever, you know, whether that's YouTube or it's the um, promotional materials for the film itself um, and having -hmm. having kind of a a political, not even specifically a political message, but like kind of um, weaponizing that media um, and using it, it, to paint a different picture than than the kind of officially approved narrative about
1: yeah like that or even even what the the fans who were making all the YouTube videos were doing like they were they were doing it in the in a celebratory way um you know they were just so like kind of amazed to be able to see the behind the scenes filming wherever they happen to be in the world um, but then when you kind of take all of that footage and kind of see what it what kind of picture it paints collectively, that that just allows you to ask a whole other set of questions other than just kind of be like starstruck um that's the thing it's like the world they they always want to keep us starstruck and just kind of have us happy and consuming and just enjoying one thing after another Uh, but that comes at a cost you know It, it comes at a cost of other types of experiences, more more thoughtful, more reflective experiences, and and ability to kind of see beyond or see through just plain pleasure, and to really see the reality behind that. Um, and and yeah, you said resourceful. That film, you know, a lot of it. Who typing two words in YouTube search: Transformers filming. Okay. Like I just put those two words. In the, in the search bar, and I ended up finding like 355 videos and, and other related uh, material that was useful. So it's amazing how you can just do that. Um, and I've seen amazing, amazing artworks that um, are, are derived from similar strategies, like uh, this one called laid off, where the artist just typed the word in um, in YouTube and got like hundreds of, of videos by people who had just lost their jobs and they were doing a video kind of confessional or just, you know, they didn't know what else to do. So they just made a video and put it on YouTube just to like talk about the experience of being laid off. And through that, she made like this super compilation of hundreds of people basically saying the same thing. <laughs> Because it actually has, they all kind of have the same kind of structure of like, hey, guys, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's really like an orchestra. It's like a symphony. It's actually it's actually like a Busby Berkeley uh, movie. It was actually um, inspired by Busby Berkeley, except instead of everybody at work dancing their asses off, it's like hundreds of people who have no job. And now their work is to just vent on YouTube. And that's that's the new kind of factory, actually. YouTube is the new factory. It's like, it's where everybody's, you know, trying to chase their dreams. So um, it's really great. It's really great work. And you can, you can probably, I think you can find it on, um, I don't know if you can find it on YouTube, you can find it on Vimeo, I think. Uh, I think it's called, let's see, I'm going to type it in, Laid Off by Natalie Bookchin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's her, some what's of the- her gr- name? Uh, Bookshare, I just, I just typed it in chat. So if you oh, open great. the chat, you'll see it. Great. Um, yeah, so like some of the greatest, some of the best art being done now is being done through some of the simplest methods you can imagine. And it's it's really just a mind. Like that's, that's really like your number one tool. Just your mind, your curiosity, your willingness to go somewhere that other people hadn't thought of. Um, just, you know, what search term is on your mind right now? Like what's something that you just want to explore um, and just do it, you know? There's another, actually, there's another great artist. Um, I've, I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm compiling these right now because I'm teaching a class on on screen stories. Like, because my class is like, you know, they're all pulled up in their, their apartments or their homes um, and all they have are their laptops and their phones. Um, yeah, what kind of stories can you tell that are based on online experiences and screen stories. So I've been giving them a playlist of things to watch. Um, if you look for Jenny Odell uh, KQED, just search, search Jenny Odell KQED and you'll get a little artist talk from her. She did this amazing um, piece where she went on a road trip using Google Maps. Um, so, She, the thing is, like, she literally spent the same amount of time on this road trip as she would have, like, she spent the same amount of time in Google Maps as she would have done on road trips. So it's like she was literally like crawling through Google, (laughs) like Street View. (laughs) So it's like it's Street View, and she's literally crawling past the streets and just noticing stuff. And then she wrote a story uh, and a photo essay about her Google street view road trip. It was amazing. Um, so it's just, it's just amazing what you can do. If you just take the things that are available to you that you just kind of take for granted and just take them one step more seriously than you're supposed to. And you, you'd be surprised where you can go with it.
0: That's really cool. That's, I would, I would love that list that you're compiling. I think that would be. Oh yeah. If you're willing to share it at some point. Oh, no problem. I can send. yeah, I'll send you a link afterwards. It's really, I feel like that's what I need to hear right now. And um, maybe it's what some of the rest of us need to hear right now, just about what is, what is still possible, uh, you know, and how we can embrace these, uh, these limitations that we're dealing with right now. Um yeah well, that's the thing about the internet. The internet is
1: infinite i mean it's
0: <laughs>
1: i mean it just it's it's like thirty years old and it's already just amassed this incredible density and and immensity to it and i mean that's the that's the thing that we're all kind of there. we're all on the internet now um until this thing blows over and yeah but that's that's the, that's the thing though it's like if you if you If you were to really see how vast the internet is and just what's possible to be done within it, I mean you may not <laughs> want to come back
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, but, but that's, that's, that's that's the question is like where where is this taking us with our uh, society and our civilization i mean it's It's a tricky proposition, and i i I find myself kind of looking at it from both sides because uh, you know i my my greatest successes have been enabled by you know using the internet. Um, as best I can, but at the same time, I see a lot of problems with it in terms of where it's taking us as a civilization, where it's taking us as individuals and um, losing sight of what's actually around us in, in real life. So this is, this is going to be a conflict and um, a dilemma that's going to stay with us for a while. And I think that's, that's, but that's also very rich material for you guys as soul artists to explore that tension um, to to not take the internet for to challenge it um, and and by doing that you don't take real life for granted either you know, you have a new appreciation for what quote-unquote reality
0: is um, that's really great uh, I want to um, make a little bit of space here in case people have questions that they've been they've been ruminating on. Um, So if you do, uh, now is the time to either shout it out or type it into the chat.
1: I have something kind of stupid to say, but I figured out a way to defend
0: Transformers. (laughs) Okay. So, So, Before you go, Connor, did you get a chance to watch the... The yeah, film. I watched the, the pre-make. Cool, cool. Okay, go ahead. So I heard I, I read something online today called The Lawness
1: of cool, the Law of Coolness Above All. So what's cooler than a car becoming something that can fight? And it's kind of marketing genius because Americans love cars and kids love toys and men love action and you got all of that in one product. So it's really kind of a smart chess move with making money. And you have all this expansive, like, it's like smart stupid. They, they oh, yeah, did it so well. Though, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And not, yeah, and, and globally too. I mean, but you can trace this all the way to the eighties. Uh, I actually made a, I actually recently made a little video about my GI Joe collection when I was a kid um uh, which i feel a little embarrassed about because it's so so like pro war and i i have a very different uh perspective on that than i did when i was like 10 years old but it's just yeah i mean you, you, transformers and gi joe came from the 80s and there's like if you if you go deep into the history of it um they they became popular because of certain laws that were taken down because up until the early 80s up until Ronald Reagan it was actually illegal to make children's programs related to toys because they they were like you know it's obviously going to be used for promotion and and commercialism and it's probably a bad cultural influence to have kids just like watching cartoons and buying toys related to the cartoons um cuz you're basically Creating advertise like the, the the programs are basically advertising for the toys, and um yeah, it was, it was there was so there were laws in place to to prevent that. But then in the eighties, they got rid of those laws, and then the number one TV show in the U.S. was GI Joe, and number two was Transformers because they totally played to these impulses of like like you're saying like fantasies of war, violence. Um, cars soldiers you know it's just it's it's uh yeah neoliberalism in a way <laughs> so um yeah you're you're right Marcy. it is crazy mm-hmm. um so like you know and, and this this definitely tapped into my childhood because if i wanted to be a cool kid i need to have those toys so it became almost an unwritten law that i needed to have a gi joe collection so i'm kind of going back to that now um, and I, cause I'm, I'm in my mom's house, so I have my GI Joe collection <laughs> and I've been exploring them and I've been replaying what it was like. Cause, cause I remember it was like, so, so like to script, I would watch the cartoon <laughs> while doing my homework at like 4:30 every weekday. And then I would reenact the cartoon with my toys. <laughs> so it, it really becomes Cultural programming, social programming, you know, like my brain is being programmed to do this. But at some point, what happened was I kind of got bored of just replaying these war scenarios. And at the same time, I was like, um, I wasn't allowed to hang out with with friends after school. Um and so because um, my, I grew up in an immigrant family and my parents were very protective, like stay, stay home, do homework, <laughs> do not hang out with friends. <laughs> so, so in a way, like the GI Joes were my friends. Cause they, they're, they're who I got to play with. And then I got, I got sick of doing the war stuff. And then I started using my GI Joes as friends, like <laughs> creating friend scenarios. Like, Hey, did you see what so-and-so said about so-and-so? <laughs> and so then, then they and then when my friends went on camping trips and I didn't get to go to camping trips, I started doing camping trips with the GI Joes. And then when girls entered the picture and I had no idea what to do about that, um, I actually had exactly one female GI Joe, <laughs> and that created very and I had like you know fifty male GI Joes. <laughs> that was the ratio, <laughs> and that created interesting dynamics that I had to, size, so. I I, I'm getting into this, guys, because, you know, you take something that's so trivial and so like kind of, you know, um, you know, sort of take it for granted. And then you start, you know, just as a kid, I started doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing with them. And that was actually more interesting than what I was supposed to be doing with them. So and much more revealing, you know, like what were my needs? What was I really trying to figure out at the time? So these are these are really interesting things for you guys to explore with your own childhood experiences. Like, why did things, you know, why did things go a certain way? Things that didn't go according to the script. Like when things go off script, that's when things get really interesting. So that's that's totally something I want you guys to uh, to explore because it's like when you stick to the script and you're like, yeah, this this should be like this and this should be like that. That's that's playing into the systems of power and just kind of like, you know, fitting into a power structure. Yeah. And, you know, we all want to fit in, right. We all want to fit in. We all want to be functional, but, um, it's it's much harder to find your own path. It's much harder to find your own voice and these kind of nice little poetic touches that actually reveal a lot about your life.
0: I like to, um, the facts of, um, having something really personal, having a personal perspective on it. So, you know, it's not just a movie about, I mean, I don't know what your movie is about, but like like G.I. Joe and capitalism and Reagan in the 80s is fascinating. But it, to me, it, like having that kind of very intimate personal dimension of the piece is so yeah more interesting to kind of have all of that going on at the same time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good way to deal with these sort of big topics like history and politics is if you, if you find yourself within those scenes, you know, so that um, it's not, you're not just like explaining what was happening, but you, you're really understanding its effect on you and how, how you lived with it and how you dealt with
0: it. And I think too, that, that to me fits with the part of the conversation about kind of the explainer versus the Mm -hmm. kind of a deeper essayistic exploration where it's not just like, this is how this works. And this is how this works. It's like, this is how this impacted me. And this is what it makes me think about. Um, so that, that fits with that too, I think. Yeah, you bet. Um, Oh, one other thing, Connor, um, there is actually a really excellent, um, every frame of painting episode about, the work of Michael Bay, um, and talked oh about how even though kind of all of his movies are terrible, they're terrible in a really brilliant and exquisite way. Um, yeah, so it's totally worth watching. I also recommend Lindsay Ellis. Um,
1: the the thing that put her on the map and made her the most popular. She is she is pretty much the most popular video essayist right now. I mean, she's got like I think over a million subscribers. Um but she, she really took off cause she'd been doing YouTube videos for like a decade, but it wasn't until she did a nine part series about transformers and each chapter is actually looking at transformers from a different, um, part of film studies, like, yeah, cinematography and editing, but then also, uh, gender politics in transformers, um, you know, um, yeah different 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 types of critical and social theory so she's really she's really going deep and taking it seriously so she figured it out like she figured it out like yeah you you give you take people what you 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 give people what they want in order to give them what they need or what you really feel they they really should be engaging with and that it's, it's a great example of that
0: um well, well thanks kevin yeah. i'll uh, i'll follow up with you offline but um but it's really great to talk yeah. to you
1: thank you kevin and thank you everybody thanks for your time and your attention and good luck with your work
0: if you'd like to support this podcast and the artists that we feature please subscribe at patreon.com backslash All proceeds from subscriptions go to the guest artists. Thank you very much.